Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Ollie Richards, and I've got a fantastic episode for you today. Really, really fun conversation with a great guest. Um, but first of all, welcome. If you're new here, this podcast is all about language learning. So we talk about all things relating to how to learn a language quickly, how to learn your second language, things to watch out for along the way. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast um, so you get future episodes um, delivered to you. And uh, we're available on all the all the usual places, your Apple Podcasts, your Spotify's, your whatever else people are using to <laughs> listen to their podcasts these days. Hit the subscribe or the follow button button. Also, um, leave us a review if you've enjoyed the podcast. I, I really enjoy reading the podcast reviews. I check every one. And uh, if you'd like to leave me a note to say whether you've been enjoying the podcast or not, then I'd love to see it there. Now, today I am having a conversation with uh, my friend Lucas Van Vieven. Now, Lucas, uh, I've known Lucas for many years. He's a really interesting guy, very hardworking, very entrepreneurial. Um, and we are going to talk about a few different things. In this conversation, you will learn what it's like to grow up in a country where three languages are spoken. I'll give you a clue. It's not what you think. You're going to hear, why is it that Lucas can get in the car and drive for 45 minutes in a certain direction and not understand anything that people say when he gets there? You're going to hear a very interesting conversation about why is it that often polyglots or language teachers online they learn their languages one way, but they teach in a different way. Isn't that a little bit hypocritical? And you're also going to hear all about Lucas's method for teaching, which is conversation-based chunking. What on earth is that, and how can it help you? Well, you'll find out in uh, today's podcast. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lucas Van Viva of Spring Languages. Enjoy. Lucas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for that uh, beautiful introduction. Well done. <laughs> yeah, I, I, imp I improvised it. You have, uh, you have uh, experienced with 400 episodes, no? <laughs> well, yeah, for, after 400, uh, uh. welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language. Yeah, you kind of get, get used to it after a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, man, you're a very interesting guy. Tell us about, about Lucas. So what do you want to know? Uh, I'm from Belgium, originally back here now. I've been in a, in a lot of different countries in the past couple of years. Um, from the northern part of Belgium, Flanders, where we speak Flemish, which is uh, actually Dutch, just a different accent. You know, but it's, 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 it's uh, Flemish. There's three official languages in Belgium, German, French, and, uh, and, uh, and Flemish, right? Um, yeah, and so I'm from the northern part uh, in Belgium. It's very, very separated for some reason. I don't know why, but like in, in the north of Belgium, we only speak Flemish. And we learn French at school, but you never really uh, use it in real life or like in daily life, which is something a lot of people are always like uh, uh, confused about. They always think, oh, Belgium, people speak French there. Most people don't actually. And uh, so, yeah, uh, that's me. I studied languages at school, applied linguistics, translation, interpretation, English, German and uh, Dutch. Then I moved to Scotland for a while, which you probably can't hear in my uh, accent. I, I did an exchange that. program there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really pick up the accents. Uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah, then 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 I studied international politics actually. So I moved to uh, France, to Nice, south of uh, France. Then to Berlin for a couple of months, which is part of that international politics uh, degree as well. Then uh, back to France. Then I moved to Italy, learn Italian, uh, moved back to Belgium. Then started traveling to a lot of different countries. I uh, was in Mexico for a while, was in the United States for a while. So I lived in uh, a lot of different countries. And in the meantime, I uh, yeah, started learning more languages, uh, developing a method for learning languages, uh, conversation-based chunking. We'll talk about that in a, in a bit. Uh, I set up a website. Uh, in the beginning, it was called The Polyglot Life. And then I changed it to Effortless Conversations, uh, which is more of my personal website about language learning. And last year, then uh, with uh, my friend, Gabriel Gelman, which who you all also know, right, Holly? Sure. Uh, yeah, we started Spring Languages together. Uh, first language, Spring Spanish, where we make a lot of content uh, on YouTube. So we create a lot of YouTube videos uh, for people who want to learn Spanish. Fantastic. I didn't know you uh, lived in Scotland. Whereabouts were you in Scotland? In Edinburgh. So I went to a uh, university nice. that I thought was called Harriet Watt. But apparently in the Scottish accent, it was something like 
Hey, how to get what? <laughs> so that would feel Cedar, right? So there's a, yeah, it's a, an interesting accent, right? <laughs> so tell me what it's like growing up in a place where three languages are, are kind of routinely spoken. Are you, um, so you, you mentioned that, you know, you learn French at school, but you don't speak it that much, but I guess you're, it's kind of always around you when you're growing up there, right? So what's, I mean, can you just like characterize for those of us who grew up like speaking only English or speaking only one language, what is it like to grow up somewhere where three, where, where you're surrounded by three languages? So we are in some ways surrounded by three languages, but it's not really German. So in Belgium, there's only 40,000 people or 50,000, I think, who speak German as their mother tongue. Of course, it's a, the border with Germany. Um, but it's an official language. Same with French. Well, there's like four or five million, I think. But it's very, very, very separated. So we have different news channels, different famous people, like people who are famous in the south of Belgium, in Wallonia. We don't know <laughs> them. I don't know yeah. them. In the north, where we are from, we have our Flemish like famous people. And they're not famous in the south. We can't vote for the same politicians. We don't speak the same language. It, it's completely separated. So I can go about my day here in, in Antwerp, where I'm right now. I might need some languages, but it's probably I will need more English than, than, than other languages. So we don't really use it that much at all, but we have to learn it at school, of course, right? But there's a lot of people who just like in the North who learn French at school and like in any other country, they don't like learning French or they don't like learning languages. It's difficult, you never use it. So you don't really speak it. And then if you ask people, it's like, yeah, I don't speak French. And in the South, most people will say, yeah, I learned some Dutch at school, but they can't string together a single sentence. And I think the only place where you read a lot of people who are bilingual is in Brussels. So there, yes, there is a lot of people who really live, you know, like with, with in a place where both languages are spoken, where everything is bilingual, where you're supposed to be bilingual if you want to work for a government or in a museum. Um, but other than that, it's, 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 it's really weird. Like it's, it's, it's very, very, very separated and it's completely different mm. cultures. In a very small geographical space as well, right? Yeah. Very, very small. So I imagine there's a lot space. of history there. The, the, I imagine there are historical explanations for why these things are so, are so separated. Um, but that's probably beyond the, uh, I won't put you on the spot with any of that stuff. Uh, but it, but it is it is interesting. It's complicated. It, it reminds me a little bit of in the UK how um, you know obviously we all English is the common language throughout the UK although we do have regional languages which are you know they're very um, I mean Welsh has a fair a fair um, amount of usage but the other kind of regional languages in in the UK are very much you know minority languages you know. Tend yeah. to be to be charitable, you know, but they're basically not not spoken um, widely at all. Uh, but the UK is very interesting in the sense that you can drive for one hour and in one direction, and the accent will completely change. So if you're in London, you've got one accent. If you go drive a couple of hours or an hour north to 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 East Anglia, you've got a different accent. A couple of hours west to Birmingham, accent changes again completely yeah. one hour south of, of, of there to kind of devon cornwall where i am now the accent changes again and then you drive a couple of hours up north to liverpool manchester and every single place you go has got its own really strong accent and yeah. it, and so it, it just remi it reminded me a little a little bit about that so that happens even in flanders which is even smaller it's like half of belgium right in belgium like just to give you an idea i think two three hours you can cross the entire country from north to, north to south. You can just drive through the entire country. Half of that is Flanders in the north. If I drive an hour to the seaside, I can't understand people. And literally, if you literally can't understand them, like they speak Dutch, but they speak well, Flemish, like an accent of Flemish dialect. I think I can understand half of what they say. And if they're a little bit like older people who sometimes have like stronger or like older dialects, I can't understand anything, literally nothing. And it's an hour away. And That's they insane. use Flemish. And then, I mean, we, we have like on television, on newspapers or whatever, on television, on the radio, of course, like that's like standard Dutch, but nobody speaks that or standard Flemish. Nobody speaks that. It's something that everyone has to learn if you want to work for television. It's a bit like, you know, maybe RP or um, the Queen's English on the BBC, or, but even there, people don't really... Italian, perhaps. Yeah, maybe like that. It's it's a really, really strong accent. And it's, it's weird because it's such a small territory. Flanders and still like everything like my dad is 
is from a, a city that's like 80 kilometers away from 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 Antwerp. 45 minutes by car. If you go there, we people make. I mean, they have such a strong accent that's completely different. I can understand them there, but it's like people always make jokes about the different dialects and accents in yeah. Belgium because it's so 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 different. And then the one from Antwerp, where I'm from. People say that's the arrogant one, you know, and then like, so there's always like all these cities of their own. And then these are like the slow ones. And these are the ones who always have like a hot potato in their mouth to say, you know, there's always like these kind of things that, that, that people say about accents and uh, in Belgium. No, but yeah, it's surprising because it's so small. Like for so us that, also, it's weird, 45 kilo, like minutes away. That's really far away. Yeah, sure. I was in Mexico for a long time. There's like 45 <laughs> minutes as you maybe go to. Like if you're in traffic or in London, probably as well. Like you oh, can yeah. go like five kilometers and you're still 45 minutes. Yeah. So in Belgium, that's like far away. You know? So then if you drive 45 minutes south and you get, you meet these older people speaking Flemish that you can't understand, but you need to communicate. What's the common, what's the language in common there if you need to communicate? It will be like more standard Flemish, but it, it really depends on the, so, so for most regions, of course, I can perfectly understand what everyone's saying. Like we can all understand each other. It's only like at the seaside for some reason, they have a really strong accent. That's very, very difficult to understand. Um, I would just, they would probably understand me. It will be more difficult the other way around. Um, yeah. Then they try to, to, to speak more standard Flemish, like you hear it on television or on the radio. Uh, which might be difficult sometimes still. Like we'll understand each other, but it will be, it'll be quite difficult. Yeah. So, did, did, so did you kind of grow up then not with no interest in language then, languages then particularly? Is that something no, that came actually later? grew up with? Uh, no, but, so when I, when I was like eight or nine or so, my mom always tells me, so that's why I remember. Um, when people ask me, what do you want to be, uh, become when you're, when you grow up, I always said, I want to become an interpreter. And I don't know why I just probably heard it somewhere like, Oh, an interpreter and that's cool. And they work at the EU and they speak a lot of languages. And then some people from, from my primary school, they still like say, ah, you actually became an interpreter because I studied interpretation. Right. And yeah, I liked learning language. I didn't learn that many. And it wasn't that we used it that many, but yeah, I, I learned French at school. I enjoyed it. I was good at it. Uh, English learned at school as well. That was just in general, you need a lot of English uh in, in in life in general i think so that's that was that wasn't too difficult um yeah so i always liked languages i thought yeah maybe i want to become an interpreter and dabbled a bit into spanish when i was like 16 or 17 but it wasn't that i was like always learning languages and using them all the time not really it was only like when i started learning languages at university that i started you know traveling more moving abroad and then then i was like yeah actually i love learning languages and 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 I've learned a lot from, from, from learning them at university, which I don't think is the best way of learning them with a lot of grammar and, and, and word lists. And I thought after four years, sometimes I was like, well, now I've studied languages for four years at university and I, it's still so difficult. Like, how is that possible, right? Um, so I was interested in these kind of things. I was like, yeah, there must be a better way and I'm traveling a lot. And then it's nice to, to be in another country and learn a language. And I think I actually know a better way of doing it. And now I have like my linguistics background so I can compare a little bit as well to like, what is yeah. like a traditional way and not, and so it was, it, it was more that. So then I was like, yeah, I, I, I'm living abroad now. That's why I want to learn a language. But I wasn't like this person who's like sitting in his bedroom. Oh, I'm, I, I'm interested in, in Mandarin Chinese now. And I'll just start so learning just it. Stay in your bedroom for two years. Find people and, on the yeah. internet. And then, yeah. and then all of a sudden I speak perfect, like fluent Mandarin and I've never met anyone. I, it's I funny, you know, there's, there's a, it seems to me, and this might just be the, the kind of YouTube bubble, but it seems to me there's a lot more people doing doing that kind of thing now, I guess, because it's just more natural to live your life on the internet. Yeah. But, and, and, you know, one of the great things about, I mean, I'm not a big fan of technology for language learning in general. I think mostly it just gets in the way and distorts yeah. reality. But, you know, one of the undeniable things about the internet is it has brought incredible access to content, right? You can just, you can yeah. immerse yourself 24 hours a day in any language exactly. you want, if you, if you want to. So I can, I can, I can see for a certain kind of person, you know, perhaps a more introverted type who likes to, who really enjoys studying and is, is young enough to kind of have the time and energy to really throw themselves into something that that can yeah. be, you know, if, you, if that's you, then you've got a, you've got an amazing resource that you wouldn't have had 20 years ago. Like when I started learning languages, but you know, I, um, I, so on YouTube recently, I've been doing these these videos where I look at people's language learning journeys and then um, talk to them about uh, about how they did it. So, for example, I, I, I did this this one um, with uh, Xiaoma, so Ari, who runs, um, 
he did, has this, this um, yeah i've seen his videos yeah, yeah chinese the white guy like, shocks shocks locals yeah, with shocks the locals and um, new york you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and another, another one with matt matt versus japan who's he's got phenomenal japanese but it's, it's interesting reading some of the comments that have come back on those videos because so generally comments on youtube tend to be utter trash it's like the, the, <laughs> the bottom of the barrel but i think there is a kind there is also kind of intellectual contingent of people who follow this stuff on youtube who really enjoy discussing it and they they can they can make some points which are interesting to engage with and one of the things that i've seen recently is something that i think is interesting which is so take ari for example shalma he he to, I mean, to, to caricature his journey so he learned you know fantastic chinese because well and, and the way he did it was he he studied it at university, then he went abroad to China for a couple of years, used Anki a crazy amount, and then kind of lived his life in Beijing and and then eventually ended up ended up fluent. But you talk to him now and he'll say, like, actually, I don't think that um, Anki and, and rote memorization is the best thing. It's all it, instead it's more it's all about immersion. And so if you're asking me, you know, what would you do differently? Uh, he'll say, "Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend much time on Anki now. If I was going to do it again, I'd just be immersed the whole time." And then similarly with um, a little bit like with with Matt as well. I mean, because um, so Matt learned Japanese by to, to to an incredible level by just complete like masochistic immersion for years and years on end without even coming up for air. I mean, just an incredible amount of of just you know basically sitting in his room reading and um reading japanese and just really punishing himself emotionally psychologically everything and but then but then the way that he teaches now is 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 different man i'm the same you know i i learned languages i I was never really kind of that hardcore but i you know a lot of my early success i think with languages came when i was really young and i was just hanging around with people a lot and speaking a lot which is not what i teach now and so there's a there's this kind of criticism that i think is valid which is that the the criticism essentially goes like this look you guys um had success with, with languages doing one thing and now you're teaching something else so you might think intellectually that you have a superior way now, but actually you don't know anymore. Yeah. How, yeah. What, how do you know? Like if, if you found the success by doing these things in the past, no. like, you know, why are you now changing your story and saying, this is a better way. And I think this is very interesting because I think you know, both of us would agree, like, as you just expressed, you know, learning language at university, a, a traditional ways of learning a traditional method of learning is not optimal like most people you wouldn't find many people who would disagree with that statement and yet a lot of us learned that way initially right and so yeah. you can make the argument okay so you now you come on to learn your fifth or sixth language and you do it in this different way but you had to go through this tough period of kind of traditional hard work first in order to you know cut your teeth so to speak and i find this yeah. a very interesting critique so what, what do you what, what do you how, how would you react to that so I agree to some extent. I, I actually think it's way easier to do full immersion if you've already learned another foreign, another foreign language, especially if it's one that you've, you know, that's similar structure-wise to a language you've already learned. Because then a lot of the grammar stuff that normally would be completely new to you, you have some more frame of reference. You know, you know already like, okay, it's a bit similar. Oh, you hear stuff, you know more language, you can make more connections that way. Um, so I don't think full immersion is 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 really. The, I think you can learn language in a lot of ways. So if you started learning French or whatever, or German in a traditional way, it's not like all lost what you did there. Of course, like you've learned the grammar, you know the grammar. Maybe you can't speak well, and then you follow up by doing a lot of immersion. Of course, you're going to make a lot of progress really quickly, and then maybe you think, well, it didn't make a big difference because I didn't see the progress. But of course, you 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 still have that in you already. You know so. So then the real progress came with immersion, but you had that foundation, like you said before. But I mean, for me, for German, for example, it was like that, I think. So I, I, I learned it in a traditional way. And then I thought, well, this is maybe not the best way. And then I, when I was studying like international politics, I had a lot of like German people in my, in my, in my, uh, like were studying with me. So we were speaking German all the time. And then all of a sudden my German like was really, really good. And before it was 
not bad, but it was pretty bad considering that I've been studying it for four years, mm. just like everyone else at my university. Yeah. I couldn't string together a single sentence, you know? Um, uh, but there's one language that I actually learned from scratch entirely with the method that I now preach, right? So that's, that's, this, it's almost the only language that I literally learned from scratch. And then that really, one was Italian? Italian, yeah, exactly. And that one I learned from scratch only doing conversation based chunking. I didn't have my own courses yet, but it was exactly the same method, and it worked extremely well. But it was in combination with, 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 um, with living abroad. You know, I lived in Italy, so of course I had all the immersion. But I also used that method of well, that we'll talk about in a second, probably, um, of, of 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 chunking, which wasn't like I didn't learn grammar rules. I never did because the Italian. other thing, the other, yeah, because that was your 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 fifth or sixth language by that point, right? So you had all that experience before you. It was, I think it was my, my second or third, but I agree. It was, it was way easier because it was a language. I mean, I, I learned French at school, German, which isn't the same grammar, but I mean, I had experience with learning grammar or like with structures of different languages. So that made things easier. Um, but I learned it from scratch and I never really looked at the grammar that much. I read a grammar rule and then I sometimes, the grammar, mainly I did like this, this chunking thing that we'll talk about in a second. Um, but it was easier for sure. And I tried to account for that in, in, in the language courses that, that, that we create right now i try to add in more grammar to give people that like the structure as well that they need because saying that you don't have to learn any grammar it's it's usually not true for most people unless you're really really gifted with like language and the structures and you really know what to look out for right um but yeah of course it's way easier to to to, to learn another language if you've done one already and it's also way easier if you've done several years of grammar and you always felt like I didn't learn anything. And then you do immersion and then all of a sudden you speak well. And then you say, oh, well, it's because of the immersion because at that point I made a lot of progress. Yeah, but you forget everything you did before, right? Yeah. So that might be something that that, that comes into play there. Um, yeah, I think it's a combination always. Like, and, and and of course we're always trying to intellectualize in some way. Like, I mean, we're, we're yeah, creating exactly. courses, right? So it's yeah. like, okay, what exactly did I do? I first I did this and this, and now I need to make it easy to understand for people. So here are four steps. And then of course the four steps or whatever you have, right? Isn't always like the entirely correct sequence of how things happen. But as long as it gives people like, you know, like something that, but that works both ways. Like methodology, right? Yeah, it works both ways too, right? Because students often especially more, you know, more intellectual students often have trouble with this because they want the solution, right? They're looking yeah. a lot of people will approach the topic of language learning. Uh, with a with a kind of question which is like, right, I need to find the best most effective, optimal way of learning a language. What is it? And they go out on this quest to sort yeah. of analyze these different methods and find out, well, how are languages actually learned? And they're kind of continually looking for that. But I think that's kind of an error because that optimal way doesn't, doesn't exist. You know, you, even, if you, even if, because any method has to, has to function within the constraints of the, the life of the person who's, who's doing yeah. it, right? So I could, let's say I could say to you, um, Lucas, uh, story learning is objectively the most efficient language learning method in the world. We've, we have scientific data. We've got a million studies that back it up. It's, it's been proven. Story learning is the best. And you say, okay, but I don't like reading. Well, then it's useless. It doesn't matter yeah. if, it's, if it's the best. It's, like it, it's useless to you. And so, you know, immersion, what, what are the critiques of um, immersion-based methods, like something that like, like, like Matt does, for example, which is kind of very kind of hardcore, like massive amounts of exposure the essential problem with this is that if you're not motivated enough or you don't have enough time to consistently yeah. put that into practice it's just not going to work for you so we're kind of so the the ultimate truth of this is that everyone has to find the thing that works best for them at that point in their life with their own circumstances and no one can tell you what the best thing to do is right so the, the students often like some sometimes the smarter people the smartest people have the biggest trouble have the most trouble with language yeah. learning because they're kind of looking for this magic solution that that doesn't exist yeah. in that way. Yeah, language learning is a bit messy always, right? And of course, like you say, it's always like, yeah, I want to learn a language, but I only have 10 minutes a day. Well, then you probably shouldn't focus on like total immersion because you might be like doing immersion with something that doesn't help you at all, right? Or it's not helping you. And then you do it for 
three months every day, like listening to something that's way too difficult for you, something that's not comprehensible, maybe like comprehensible input, you don't learn anything, right? Or like you say, I don't like reading, okay, then, then, then that doesn't work. Yeah? So objectively, yes, it might be better, but uh, yeah, I totally agree. It always depends on, on, on your situation. If you're in the country or not in the country, what you need a language for, um, what you like doing, how motivated you are in general with these kind of things. Uh, some people just take like a journal and say, every day I do this, 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 and they just mm. pencil it in and they do it. <laughs> and other people are like, yeah, today, what do I feel like doing? Do I feel like reading or listening or do I want to speak a little bit? And that might also work, you know, as long as you do something. Yeah. But it's important that you, of course, engage with the language. And that's is, maybe the only the, important thing. This is the tension, right, that, that we know, having learned loads of languages, that the fundamental truth of language learning is that it always depends and there's no right or wrong. There are no rules. We know that to be any language learner, any successful language learner knows that to be true. But what the student wants, the beginner student wants is certainty. It's like, tell me what to do yeah. step by step and I'll do it. Yeah. And this is a fundamental conflict between those, between those two things. And so as, as teachers and educators, all we, all we can really hope to do is say, look, let's take, let's take a combination of the things of the different principles that we kind of that we know are we know to be true in language learning and put them together into a into a into a method which is uh, somewhat of a artificial construct, but it but it gives it gives a certain kind of person a very yeah. clear pathway forward because ultimately if you if you have some certainty over what you're doing you're more likely to do it. You know, if I say, like, do this for 10 minutes, then do that for yeah. 10 minutes, you, you're more likely to follow, which means you're more yeah. likely to get success, regardless of the, exactly. the quality of the, of the method. method maybe. Yeah. yeah. I have the same with, like, if I say, yeah, you can learn language without learning grammar. And there's some people who are like, yeah, but I love learning grammar. It's like, well, of course, learn grammar. Maybe it's not the only thing you need to do, right? But it's something that, um, well, if you enjoy it, <laughs> well, by all means, do it, because it means you'll be engaging uh, with the language. Uh, right? And yeah, it's true. Like, it's... You need some sort of certainty. And if you have a path, if you have some sort of method that you can follow or something, a step-by-step -step plan, you're probably more likely to succeed or at least in less time, regardless of the method you, you follow. I totally agree with that. Yep. So with that said, having having basically just said, look, no method is no method works. Yeah. <laughs> or any method works all the time or none of none of the time, kind of depends. Let's talk yeah. about your method. Um, because yeah, I, I, so I, just to kind of to tie these ends together, people basically, what this means for the average language learning is like, you got to find what works for you. Right. And that could be, yeah. and, and so try five, five different things, 10 different things, and just be alert to what you enjoy, what seems to work and then follow, follow that, you know? And so it's a lot yeah. of the value that I think a lot of the value I try to bring here on the, on the podcast by talking to people like you or many of the other guests that we've had um, recently is to say, look, here are the different options out there. Um, so, you know, take your pick, see yeah. what resonates with you. Like we had uh, Tamara on recently who talks all about learning Spanish with music, with salsa, and that's like yeah. such a fantastic way of um, of of learning. It's the kind of thing that that's going to really appeal and really light light a fire for, for lots of different people. Not everybody, but yeah. it's a really unique yeah. way. So let's talk about you. You've talked about this conversation based chunking. So yeah, tell us about what what, what does that mean? Sounds a bit academic, right? <laughs> but it is in some way. So it's more of a. I don't know, like I sometimes think of it more as like a meta method or more of like a mindset when you're in a language, more so than, than saying like learn Spanish with music or learn Spanish with immersion because you can do it with everything, right? And basically it's, it's, it's based on the idea that if you want to learn a foreign language, that you're much better off by starting to listen to native speakers speak that foreign language. So you really listen to them or read or whatever you enjoy and see what they say, exactly what they say, which word combinations native speakers use when they speak. And these are called chunks. And we'll talk about that in a second. And once you've seen these, just use exactly these same things um, that you've just heard, as opposed to starting by learning a lot of words, isolated words and word lists and grammar rules. And why is that the case? Well, because if you start by words and grammar rules, if you start by learning these things and you then try to string together a sentence in your target language, but you don't know what that sentence is supposed to look like, right? You have, might have some abstract idea of what it is supposed to look like because you know some grammar, but you don't have that frame of reference. You literally don't know, is this a sentence that I like, what, what is this sentence supposed to look like? Um, so you try to string it together then maybe, and you will have to think a lot about grammar rules and then like every single word you have to think, oh, which conjugation here or which preposition do I need to use? And maybe if your language is like word gender, you need to think about gender. 
And then by the end, maybe you've created a sentence that you've probably based on your target language, right? Because you've, I mean, you're translating in your head because you don't know what the sentence in your, uh, in, uh, on your, sorry, based on your mother tongue, right? And yeah, and then, and then at the end, you'll probably think like, okay, I said something, I maybe got my point across because I used some words that are used in my target language, but I don't know if that's really what a native speaker says. You just don't have that frame of reference. But if you start by listening to native speakers or stories you know, like what you have, you have that frame of reference right away. Your frame of reference is now what a native speaker says and not what the grammar book says, right? So you see a full sentence, you probably think something like, oh, okay, so that's what a native speaker says. That's how a native speaker says, I'm hungry or, or happy birthday or, or whatever they say, like anything they say. You've seen now what native speakers say, say, so you can say the exact same thing. And you don't have to think about the grammar all the time when you do that, right? You can often just have that aha moment. You like hear something and like, oh, that's what they say. Oh, I didn't know that's how I need to say, I know, like nos vemos, for example, like uh, see you in Spanish. <laughs> like all that stuff, you just hear it and then you just use it as well without thinking about the grammar behind it. And that's the idea behind the conversation-based chunking. You start by listening to conversations and you take that as a frame of reference. You look for the word combinations that they use and you just memorize them in some way and you use them yourself. And then if you combine that with some grammar studies, right? So you know the structure a little bit better. It'll be much easier to speak that language. You won't be translating in your head that much. You won't have that always like that, that nagging feeling that I always had. And for sure you had the same experience as well. Like you like say something and it's like, oh, I don't know if that's, really good sentence, right? I think I follow the grammar rules, but I don't know if I follow the native speaker rules, right? Um, yeah, and that's basically, that's basically it. You try to find these word combinations, these chunks that native speakers use instead of focusing so much on grammar. The, the thing that characterizes this, I guess, is that you're a couple of things. First of all, you're, you're focusing on input rather than, yeah. rather than uh, actually learning the, the theory. So it's kind of top down rather than bottom up, if you like, which means you're going to learn what people actually say and actually use in the language yeah. rather than, you know, focusing on artificial rules in your, in your textbook. But also you're, 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 you're using a very important concept um, in language learning, which is known, it can be known by a few different things. It's known as, 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 as chunks. It's also known as collocations yeah. um, in a very kind of simple way. You could generalize and say, well, phrases, but it's the idea that words very rarely exist together by themselves, by themselves right? So if I'm going to say something like, um, well, that word like, for example, something like is a combination that's very, very, yeah. very exactly. frequent. Yeah. Um, and then uh, what, else, what else could there be? Uh, well, that phrase there, what else could there be? What else is that? Like that's, I don't sit there adding, thinking, okay, what word comes after what? And then else and then no, i take the yeah, it just rolls off the tongue, it, right? rolls off the tongue because yeah. i've used it yeah. lots of times before so these 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 are two kind of really powerful principles of language learning the idea of learning through input so you're learning what people actually use and then also learning combinations of words because it's a lot easier it's kind of it's counterintuitive isn't it because sometimes when i tell people about collocation or chunking they say well it sounds very difficult learning these combinations of words it's a lot easier just to learn one word but I've always found it's a lot easier to learn complete phrases because, because you have because context. You have context, exactly. So yeah. tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so that's exactly exactly what you said. So these chunks are super important. And the, the same for, because sometimes like grammar, it just, it's just like a generalization in some way, I think. Like, you know, you have the language, then people thought, okay, we, there is structure in that language, right? Let's try to find all the structure, all the rules and everything, but they don't, don't always cover everything. And in English, just like I think one of the best examples is um, that you can say um, Merry Christmas, right? You can also say Happy Christmas, maybe not in the UK, but like in some places in the world to say Happy Christmas. You can also say Happy Birthday. But if I say Merry Birthday to you, like you'll think like, yeah, we don't say that, right? But it's an adjective and a noun together. Yeah, like I example. can't think of any grammar rule that says that I can't say Merry Birthday to you. And you will understand me but it's not what a native speaker would say, right? So if you learn with words and grammar, these kind of things are going to happen all the time because you're going to think, oh, I need an adjective here. Um, so in my mother tongue, we say something like this. Uh, we, we say maybe the same thing for Merry Christmas and, and happy birthday. Maybe we use the same word in my mother tongue so I can also use it. And then I say Merry birthday, right? And then that just doesn't work. And, uh, and language is full of these chunks, right? It's also how they exist in your brain. That's why they roll off the tongue. I and mean, that's why 
like in your mother tongue, you don't think about grammar. It's all always these patterns. And it's also easy to explain, I think. It's just like you hear them so often. Like if you always hear people around you as a kid and just in general say, happy birthday, and you never hear merry birthday. Well, your brain knows like when it hears it, like, yeah, this mm. these words are not used together, right? So there's no like connection in your brain. Like they're neurons that fire in some way, right? But with yeah. Merry Christmas, it's like, yeah, immediately like that just rolls up the tongue. It just comes automatically. Um, yeah, so that's why chunks are so important. If you can identify these and you can use them as well, then there's so much less things to think about when you speak. Mm. Right? I don't have to think about any of these like grammar rules when I just say a sentence that I know is correct because I've heard a native speaker say it and because my brain is so used to saying it that way in these chunks, in these word combinations. And that's why it's so much easier, for, like I think, to, to learn a language that way. Yeah. And when you mentioned grammar there, and um, because it's not just it's not just phrases is it like merry birthday or happy birthday or merry christmas the, the grammar if, you, if we kind of extrapolate this principle then it also applies to learning grammar and you know so many so often people i mean you'll know this from from uh, from from spring spanish with from your students there that one of the things that that students of spanish complain so much about well how do i know which verb tense to use how do I know whether I should use the present perfect yeah. or the preterite? And how do, how do I know? Do I, do I say he ido, fui, or iba? How do I choose between these? The verb tenses in Spanish for native English speakers are often really difficult, but they don't have to be. Um, they're only difficult if you try to take a rules-based approach. And, and then yeah. every time you use the past tense, you have to go and get, you have to filter filter it for all these, all these rules. Like, is yeah, it case one? Exactly. Is it case two? Is it case three? What's the appropriate one here? But if you take this idea of kind of learning from what native speakers actually say, let's take a phrase like, um, how have you been? Now, you can learn this as a chunk, right? How have you been? Yeah. Four words. Uh, I'm not thinking of the individual words. I'm thinking of the phrase. How have you been? Good to see you. How have you been? But within that phrase, how have you been? There's grammar, right? Because there is a how have you been. There's the present perfect in there, which means that without thinking about the grammar, you're accurately using yeah. this past tense um, to, 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 to ask a question and you're getting it exactly right. Now, if you learn enough of those types of phrases, then you will start to, uh, you'll start to intuitively understand exactly. the basic, basic principle, which in this case, yeah. how have you been, is the idea that we're speaking in the present, but referring to the past. To the past yeah. And when that happens, you use the present perfect, right? Same in English as it is in, in Spanish, broadly speaking yeah and yeah, so you can exactly. learn grammar through that through that way as well so how, how do you um do, do you, with conversation-based chunking do you also kind of teach grammar in that way or how yeah. does it fit in yeah exactly because that, that's the whole point like it's always about communication in some way you want to say how have you been you don't need to know any other conjugation table you don't need to know the full conjugation table I have been, you have been, he has been. I mean, in English, it's easy, but in Spanish, you know, it actually will be more difficult, right? You don't need to know it all like in that. And that's what happens to a lot of people, right? It's like, you want to say something? Oh, second person, what was the conjugation table again? Uh, have, have, has, have. So then, then you start thinking that way. It doesn't You don't need that. You can just say, how have you been? Not know anything about grammar and you can still say it correctly. Right? So that's what we usually try to do. In, in also in, in with conversation-based chunking. Yeah, we just give people a lot of um, sentences, context, and within that context, like we will put grammar, right? And the way we usually teach this, and this is not the only way, uh, but um, something that works really well is using close cards for this. So you would take a sentence, how have you been is maybe not the best example because you can't put anything around it. But let's say that you want to say something like, we'll let, see you in the afternoon. Nos vemos por la tarde. So then, first of all, how do you know that you have to say nos vemos? We see each other. You don't. There's no grammar rule for it. But if you hear it often enough by native speakers, you'll think like, oh, okay, so apparently you have to say nos vemos and not te veo en la tarde or something like that or por la tarde. So that's one thing. But what we then do is we put it on the flashcard and we blank out the chunk that we want to learn. And so if it's nos vemos por la tarde, I want to learn nos vemos, that that's like the, the conjugation for like... Um, first person plural, the verb ver. Huh? And like, that's what we want to learn. Then we just make a flashcard on the front. We add blank por la tarde. We say, okay, it's see you in the afternoon. And then on the back, we would just add the full sentence, like nos vemos por la tarde. So we always try to fill in the chunk. 
And that's, I think, one of the biggest hacks you can use if you like you're learning like space repetition systems or flashcards, not learning isolated words and definitely not learning them like, like without context, but learning chunks within the context of a sentence. Because it has so many advantages that way, you know? Like you learn them like that, you have context. You probably also have context from people you've heard like saying that, right? Um, or a textbook where you read that. And if you see a flashcard that says mm, por la tarde, you're like, okay, that's from that podcast interview that Oli and, and Lucas did. And then I heard this example. And, and what were they talking about? Oh yeah, it was, ah, nos vemos por la tarde. Just because you have so many more connections and you have a chunk. So you can immediately use it in the conversation and you have, you know, all that, all that, all that context around it. And you're using the advantage of, you know, like memorization with space repetition, if that's something you enjoy. That's how we always try to do it. So whenever we teach, a tense or whatever, we'll just make a dialogue or a conversation, add a lot of these in there, highlight them in some way. So people get used to them just by listening to it over and over and over. And then also giving them flashcards in some way. So they can actually use these, these chunks, like actively memorize or imprint them on their brain. How do you deliver flashcards? Because it's flashcards are always, I find them so, because um, the principle is completely sound. Um, but there's always an issue around flashcards, which is that people that try to use flashcards always end up spending more time making them than they do actually yeah. studying with them. So I imagine you provide these flashcards in, in Yeah, in it took me a while to figure out this way. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious how you do it because I, because I, I, this is something I think about. I think about it. We're going off, off on a, a bit of a tangent here, but because uh, a lot of people kind of just give people Anki decks. Is that, mm. is that what you do or do you have a different I way? did it in the beginning and it was, uh, it was a mess because you need to make them, you upload them to your website. People need to download them. They need to make an Anki account. You need to import them. It was a support nightmare for us. Like when we did that, like people had so many questions, they didn't work. Um, but yeah, you can totally do this with, I mean, there's close cards in Anki, so it works perfectly fine with that. Uh, we switched to make some, uh, some, uh, 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 an ad here, <laughs> hidden ad for Brainscape, right? <laughs> so we use Brainscape. They allow you to make flashcards, like flashcard decks with these kind of like close cards. And you can share them easily with students. Like you can just make it a deck and you share a link and then people can add them to their accounts. And it's a flashcard app like any other. It's nothing special in terms of functionality. but it More, more user-friendly than, uh, than Anki. It's more user-friendly because it's easier to use and because it's easier to distribute for us. And also if there's a mistake in a flashcard, I can easily change it, you know, edit it. And then it's, it's, it's a cloud-based system. So there's an app, there's a website. Um, yeah. So that works well. Can you embed those flashcards? People are going to just lose the plot here, but I want to ask the question anyway. Can you embed those <laughs> flashcards like in a, in, in a course area like Teachable or WordPress, no. or do you have to um, use them separately? No. Yeah. So you give them a link and then they, um, uh, yeah, they can just make an account, Brainscape, they can download the app if they want to or do it on the computer, and then they can add them to their account there. But you have to give them a link, so it's not it's not possible to embed them. I haven't found a way to 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 do that in a in a good way, unless you make an app, Holly. I don't think you want to make an app well, for language funny. learning, right? <laughs> it's, uh, I, not really. Um, but uh, if it would help um, our courses, then 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 potentially. But we've been having this discussion um, recently within um, the, the, the story learning team because we we kind of want to we want to take a, a fresh look at the way that we give practice activities within our courses because I mean, I, I'm very much a kind of proponent of, you know, if you, if you read enough, you'll learn all the stuff you need to know anyway. But I also think that a bit of deliberate practice is helpful. Yeah, so exactly. the question is, well, how much exactly? Um, and I think we've been giving a bit, bit too much in our courses, actually looking at worksheets and things like that. Uh, whereas we want to, we want to make it a bit more sort of streamlined, yeah. but ideally we want to do it in a way where you can do that stuff rather than having PDFs, you know, you can do it in, in an interactive way, in an interactive way inside it, the courses. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think deliberate, I mean, there's two parts for me to deliberate practice that are important. And, and in some way, like in conversation with chunking is pretty elegant, right? I think, I don't think we actually said what the four steps were. So first step is getting that input and listening to conversations. Step two is making it active or a deliberate effort, like you say, to notice these chunks, right? Noticing, you've talked about that before, I think as well, is super important when you learn a foreign language. You need to not just listen to what native speakers say and try to understand, but actually look at like the exact word combinations they use, because that's where you're going to discover these chunks, right? Because it's very easy to try to understand something and then, oh, yeah, I understood the gist of the sentence, but you don't know the exact words they used. And if you know that and you see these chunks and you make an active effort to identify them, everything you want to be able to say yourself as well, 
that is in some way already like a deliberate exercise and we highlight chunks, right? So we do that for people. So we highlight chunks in, in, in all the, the lessons we have in our courses to help them with that, to really show you like, this is important. Like notice this please, <laughs> because it's important. So that's one thing. And then, yeah, deliberate practice can be just taking chunks from there and then just memorizing them, you know, imprinting them on their brain in some way before you start speaking. <laughs> And, and, and that's how we do deliberate practice. We add some exercises as well, sometimes for some more difficult grammar topics, but the main deliberate you know, exercise can be just trying to notice. And that's why I said in the beginning, it's more like a mindset, more like a meta thing, because you don't need yeah. to take a spring Spanish course or a story learning course, whatever. Although it works perfectly with story learning, of course, but you don't need to do that. You can just watch a telenovela or something or in, in Spanish or or just a soap opera or a series, or you can read a book if you want to, as long as it is enough like actual conversational language in it, of course. But um, yeah, let's take just that like as an a, example. A so so let's, let's imagine you're, you're reading, well, let's imagine you're reading one of my books and there's a dialogue in there, and then you want to apply a conversation-based chunking method to that. What might you do? If you could lay it out step-by-step, step. let's say, so you're learning by yourself with the help of a book, mm. what, would that, what would a study session like that actually look like? So I would literally just read that, that, that Spanish dialogue, see how much I understand at first without looking. There is a parallel translation in your books, right? Or not? Or is there? No, no there's no, there's no, no translation. No, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So I like but to that's work the, with... But that's the, also the reality of most content that you're going to be learning with, right? If you're, exactly. if you're watching yeah. TV or a book, you're usually on your and own. That's, and that's why we create courses to make yeah, it easier. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. and that's why I write books, right? Because, because a, a, you know, reading Don Quixote is a bit too hard. So yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so if you don't have that, so what I would do, okay, we'll take your example. If you, if you don't have a parallel translation, if you have one, very easy, you just compare English and Spanish. Um, you read the whole Spanish dialogue, you see what you understand, then you look at the English one to make sure you understood correctly. And then you just look for word combinations. Anything that stands out in any sentence where you think, Oh, so that's what a native speaker would say. And this is really something, it, I sometimes call it an aha moment or an epiphany because it really feels like that once you start doing it. You just listen to people, it's like, oh, that's what you need to say. Oh, I had some sort of like weird sentence I always use with words and grammar rules that I translated literally from my mother tongue, but I didn't know native speakers said it this way. But now I know because I just read it, right? So that's the only thing I try to do. I just read that whole thing and I'm like, yeah, okay, this is a chunk that I can see myself use as well. If just to take the example from before, if you say, or, or someone saying like, mucho gusto, nice to meet you. I read and it's like, ah, okay. So I don't have to translate word for word. Nice to meet you in Spanish. I can just use mucho gusto. Very good. I'm going to memorize that in some way. I'll use flashcards or maybe I just remember because it's not that difficult and I'm using that myself. And I just go through the whole dialogue like that. Right? Um, if you don't have a parallel translation, sometimes it might be difficult because you don't understand everything yet. Um, I usually use a dictionary called context.reverso.net, which is a dictionary that's, it's almost like a chunking dictionary. Yeah, Literally, great. when you look at it, it's it's the best thing I've ever found, like for language learning, when it comes to like dictionaries and looking up words and so because it, it's, you can just add a chunk in Spanish and it gives you the chunk in English within sentences. It just shows you all the sentences, which is exactly what conversation-based chunking wants you to do, right? Or the other way around, you, find, you have a chunk in English and you want to look for the Spanish one, or you just write down what you want in English and then it gives you all the sentences, like 20, 30 different examples or more even with um, the chunks in different contexts as well. So you can compare, like, is it always used? Mucho gusto, does it always mean nice to meet you? And then you just see like, yeah, it's in every single like example in context or reverse it on that. It just shows you like a well, nice to meet you, mucho gusto example. So then you know that. And then, yeah, if I don't have flashcards for it yet, I would often make flashcards, right? Um, that's what I did when I learned Italian, for example. I used an Assimil book when I started learning Italian because they have these parallel translations. Right? They have dialogues and then a parallel translation in English. And I didn't even like care about the grammar. This is literally what I did. I just took a lesson or two lessons, a dialogue. I made flashcards from all the chunks that I found, everything where I thought, oh, I can see myself use this with when I'm talking to my friends later on today. Uh, um, and I, I just learned them. And then I practiced a lot, of course, because I was in, 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 in Italy. But that's the only thing thing I did for that. So that's basically what you would do. You would just read, but really try to actively notice all these chunks, these word combinations that you see there that you wouldn't have been able to come up with yourself just by learning words and grammar. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, this is a this is a method that I think I've I've uh, used myself in various different 
forms. It's, no. it's a very intuitive method. I think this is, this is the reason no. that, I, that, that, I, that I like it. It's, it's no. just, you know, for people who kind of, I think people who, who sit down and learn languages themselves and think, right, how am I going to figure this out? Let me figure out this language. It's, the, it's, it's a very intuitive thing to do, um, which, which, uh, which, which I, I really, really like. So for people that want to learn more about you and your project at Spring Languages, where can they go to, uh, to discover more about this? So if you're learning Spanish, um, you can just go to YouTube and type in Spring Spanish. And we publish a lot of videos every, every week. We have some teachers who uh, teach with chunks. So we teach a lot of chunks. Um, you can also go to Spring Languages. Uh, there's some more resources there if you want to learn more about conversation-based chunking. If you're learning any other languages, I also have um, a separate website, which is my, my old, like my original website called Effortless Conversations. Uh, there's a book there as well. I have a book on Amazon about conversation-based chunking that like lays out like everything step-by-step. Step. If you want a 12 week plan, and we talked about this before. <laughs> Some people want like a step-by-step -step plan. If you want that, uh, you can take a look at the book. Um, yeah, so these are the places for Spanish, spring Spanish or spring languages, or the other languages, effortless conversations. Cool. And if people want to get in touch with you personally, we'll put links to your various uh, social media in the uh, in the show notes as well. Sounds good. Um, so people can get in touch with you. So Lucas, thanks yeah. so much, man. And um, Thanks you know, again for having look me. Look forward to when the world opens up properly, uh, having a beer on a beach somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be able to meet up soon. <laughs> yeah, indeed. All right, man. All the best. You too. When people ask me how to progress from the beginner levels in a language up to the higher levels, I always come back to one thing. Read, 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 read. Well, that's five things, but it's, it's the same thing, right? It's read. Now, why is reading so important? It's because you get to immerse yourself in the sounds of the language. You flood your brain with words and phrases and grammar in context. So it's impossible for you not to learn tons and tons of stuff. As long as the stuff that you're reading is at the right level for you. Because as you've probably experienced, it can be difficult to find interesting reading material that is at the right level for you. You know, if you try and read a novel, it's far too hard and you struggle to make it beyond the first page. Anyway, that is why a number of years ago now, I wrote some books of short stories, which are specifically designed to help you break out of the beginner level by beginning to read in your target language so that you can enjoy yourself and finally, finally experience what it's like to read in your target language so that you can grow your vocabulary, you can improve your grammar and do all the great things that come with reading. And in fact, these books were so popular that I ended up uh, joining forces with the famous publisher Teach Yourself and we developed these books into a brand new series which are now in the bookshops everywhere all around the world and we started with six languages we've now got 16 languages including everything from spanish to german to icelandic to turkish to arabic we've got these short stories in so many different languages and i'm so proud of these books if you'd like to find out more about them and pick up a copy you can go to iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash books that's iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash books you can get the Kindle version, the paperback version, and because many people miss this, we also have the audio version so that you can actually listen along as you read, which is one of my favorite techniques for making sure that vocabulary sticks. Anyway, check them out. You'll love them, particularly the covers, which I think are probably the best covers for any language books ever written anywhere in the history of time. I, I particularly like these books. I will teach you a forward slash books.